You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. It is Tuesday the 24th of October. It was a dampish start in TW11, but it is brightening up now. Much to follow in this podcast pertaining to King of Steel, the Breeders' Cup, Frankie Dottori, the retirement of Tahira, Roger Teal on a big runner in the Cameco Futurity at the weekend, a commercial director for Flutter, Seb Butterworth, on the new ITV docuseries, and of course we go around the bloodstock world with Weatherbees. But only right we start with the sad news of the death of Desert Crown, the 2022 Derby winner, a horse who touched a lot of people, albeit in a very, very brief and truncated career. Just the four starts, but amongst them one of the more impressive derby victories of recent times, achieved in the hands of Richard Kingscote for trainer Sir Michael Stout and owner Saeed Sahail. He's a horse who was much loved by those at Freemason Lodge and indeed latterly at Newmarket Equine Hospital, where he fought valiantly after a fracture to his fetlock back in the summer. David Yates is with me now. There is a real sense of sadness at the loss of a, a huge talent and a somewhat uh, unfulfilled one as well strange though that might be to say about a derby winner indeed yeah we were all very sorry to hear this um desert crown despite a a, a brief career on the track as you say the the four races the nottingham win the the victory in the dante stakes then of course that magnificent triumph at epsom and the last time we saw him on the track was when he was beaten by hookham in the brigadier gerrard stakes it was a brief career but it shone brilliantly um None of us, I think, will forget that day at Epsom. It was Sir Michael Stout's sixth victory in the Derby. It was uh, his first since 2010 with Workforce. Richard Kingscott was on board that day. I'll just read you what he said on Twitter, Nick, if I may. He said, I've been asked about my thoughts on Desert Crown a few times today. Firstly, I'm most sorry for the staff at Sir Michael's who adored him and who are all heartbroken. Secondly, I'm sorry to racing fans in that we will never get to see how brilliant he could have been and that I don't have the vocabulary to explain how amazing he was i will always be grateful to him for looking after me on those two big days last summer he was a gentleman and an awesome racehorse i feel blessed and somewhat embarrassed that it was me that got to feel his brilliance r.i.p dc you've no need to feel embarrassed richard because you were in an integral part um, of the Desert Crown story. As I say, it was a. Uh, I, I'm very sorry that it's come to to this end. Um, the horse was obviously beset by problems in 2023, which limited him to, to that one uh, racecourse appearance. Uh, he missed Royal Ascot. He missed, missed the King George um, at Ascot Two. But of course, it was the injury that he sustained on the gallops in August that uh, led. Uh, to uh, ultimately to his demise. He he fractured a fetlock, uh, underwent surgery, 16 screws were inserted. It looked to be going well, um, and I'm sorry that it's taken this very sad turn. And although he won't want my sympathy, I do feel for Richard Kingscote because it's been a tough year for him, 2023, where 2022 was a, a real breakthrough and one that an awful lot of people took quite a lot of pleasure in. Things haven't gone the jockey's way, but I, I think that it's worth pointing out that when he got that opportunity at Freemason Lodge, at 
the well end of 2021 start of 2022 none of us was surprised we all felt that this was a jockey who had earned his place uh to use the the tabloid term term at the top table uh none of us thought well this is a guy who's been uh promoted above his ability not uh, at all and i'm sure that the the good days will return for this jockey i think he's a very fine rider indeed he's earned um that ascent through the ranks and it's been a a pretty raw 2023 for richard kingscott i think that i think that this the, the disappointments probably seep deeper into his skin perhaps than they do with a few others um i think he probably doesn't have quite the sharpest elbows in the weighing room either uh, but I hope and I believe uh, that the good days will return for him in 2024. Well said. We know what a good day it was on Saturday for that man, Frankie Dottori. Uh, you wrote a piece in the Daily Mirror Saturday evening, David. Racing.com have run a piece that's very similar in Australia today. And this is pertinent to his his trip to, to Melbourne in a couple of weeks' time. Just fill us in on the detail here. Yeah, the issue here will be uh whether frankie will get a ban today uh, that will rule him out of the melbourne cup which of course is two weeks today um the whilst understandably all the attention was on his winning rides aboard king of steel and Trawlerman. Uh, it's certainly the latter of those i think that the wit review committee will look at um at the time it looked as though frankie had gone either up to the limit or beyond it it's it's hard really to um to confirm or deny that with the replays that that i've got access to because they're a bit grainy and they're a bit unclear um i would think that the uh the wit review committee uh would have better resources than i've got and they would be able to ascertain whether frankie had gone up to the six strong limit on trawlerman or whether he'd gone beyond it uh, but the nuts and bolts that are that if he had struck Trawlerman, let's say, um, seven times, then that is a four-day ban that would be double to eight because it was in uh, a Group 2 race. And that would mean that the ban would start uh, two weeks today. So even though uh, November the 7th starts in Australia earlier than it does here, obviously, um, it would still apply. There are a couple of mitigating factors. One is that if the jockeys had more than 100 rides since um, the last whip ban, the whip review committee can take that into consideration uh, with regard to mitigation, but that won't apply in Frankie Dottori's case because it's, he hasn't had 100 rides uh, since the ban uh, from Inspiral at Royal Ascot. Uh, you can, if you admit, uh, if you plead guilty, you can have the uh, the suspension brought back to uh, two weeks from the day of the race. But of course, he wouldn't choose to do that because that would rule him out of uh, Breeders' Cup Saturday and the Melbourne Cup. So uh, he'd let the ban if it if it is. Uh, just eight days as opposed to 16, then uh, he'd let it fall from November the 7th. But that would rule him out of the Melbourne Cup. Uh, he didn't have a ride in the race as yet, no. as far as I'm aware, but I'm sure he's been looking for one. Uh, but he might just want to put that search on on hold until the, the WIP review committee uh, comes to their conclusions today. 
All right. As for King of Steel, the horse he rode and would likely ride if the horse goes to the Breeders' Cup, that Breeders' Cup option is being left on the table. That's not a surprise. Roger Varian was saying that over the weekend. Uh, but it, they have they have chosen to double pre-enter him in the turf and the classic, which is which is quite interesting. I mean, the Breeders' Cup Classic is something that Kia Jarabchin was was still very keen on. Whether Roger's got quite the appetite for that, I'm not sure. But um, it, it's intriguing that he's still in and still in both races. Yeah, we can see a, a can we see a battle of wills story on uh, not, not not necessarily uh, not necessarily. I, I think. Roger Varian was quite keen to play that notion down. And we know that we know, having spoken to Keir Drabshin enough times on this podcast, that he's a man who who has a view and he has made no secret of the fact he'd like to run in the Breeders' Cup and indeed run in the Breeders' Cup Classic. But um, Roger Varian was keen to stress the other day, in fairness, he said, Keir's let me make the call every step of the way this season. And actually, yeah. you can see that from the way he's been campaigned, really, can't you? Indeed, yeah. Fair enough. I was being... Slightly mischievous, there. but uh, but I know what you mean. I know what you're getting at. Obviously, I, because he's a guy that likes to likes to have the say. The the problem there's a there's a um, a schism here between uh, fans of horse racing and those who actually own and train them. And you know that was uh, that was illustrated, wasn't it, by the the news a couple of weeks ago about Constitution Hill remaining over hurdles. Lots of people want to see a more ambition, go for the Cheltenham Gold Cup. And of course, if you own the horse, especially if, if you if you cherish the champion hurdle as a race, you think, well, actually, I'd rather win another champion hurdle than than risk defeat and et cetera, et cetera. And we've got a, a slightly different version of that here. Loads of us would like to see more European runners in the Breeders' Cup Classic, but of course, those who are closest to them are aware of the the the, the mountain uh, that those horses have to climb in order to win that race. The the only British trained success was um, Ravens Pass on the the Pro Ride surface at Santa Anita. Am I correct? In, That's in correct. Two thousand eight. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so we we know statistically it's a very very difficult thing to pull off, and so that's why they'll probably go down the route. I'm sure Roger Varian uh, privately would say, "Well, it's it's the Breeders' Cup turf for me," but I'd love to see him in the Classic. I'm sure loads of other people would. And as you say, Kia Drabchen is a guy who um, who doesn't put a veneer on things. If 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 he if he thinks something, he normally tells us about it or tells you about it, certainly. And I'd love to see him go for the Breeders' Cup Classic, but I suspect that uh, ultimately it's Roger Varian who will uh, go for the the more conservative and ultimately the more sensible target. All right. Tahira won't be having any more targets on the race. Of course, she's off to stud. She's been retired after her very creditable third in the QE2 when she'd certainly shaped like the second best horse in the race and glided through the race um, quite impressively. Um, she retires with a very, very, very strong CV, Dave Yates, but almost as though her talent has been slightly unfulfilled, which sounds like a slightly unfair thing to say. I suppose one thing that that makes this the, the news of Tahira's uh, retirement a, a little bit more stinging is the fact that her half-sister Tanawa did race on and did achieve mm. great things beyond three, isn't it? Yeah, although maybe Tahira are slightly... A slightly smaller model, slightly finer model, and of course was a Group One winner at two, and a Classic winner at three. So maybe her her achievements um, more in the first part of her career. We've got a Group One race this weekend. It's the Cameco Futurity, and interesting bit of jockey play here. Uh, in so much as Ryan Moore is banned, so can't ride. So who replaces him on the favourite Diego Velasquez? Uh, Yeti. Yeah, the Doyler, uh, which is 
I suppose James Doyle. Exactly, indeed, James Doyle. Yes, sorry. Um, of course, James Doyle was called up by Ballydoyle. We're used to seeing him win big prizes in the the royal blue of Godolphin. Caribus, uh, of course, the 2000 Guineas uh, winner he rode at Newmarket. He was on board Warm Heart for Ballydoyle when she won uh, the Yorkshire Oaks and the Prevere May. He's had a, a, a real Indian summer, hasn't he? Because he was also on board Van Deek for the Crisfords in the Middle Park Stakes. So, Ryan Moore, our listeners will remember, picked up uh, that riding ban uh, from the Oso Sharp Stakes at Newmarket that ruled him out of the uh, Cameco Futurity, a race that Aidan O'Brien has won eleven times, including four of the last six. And so, um, James Doyle has uh, received the call up to ride Diego Velasquez, mm. but that—that's arguably the the second most interesting bit of news about mm. this race, isn't it? I think. And that, well, that the bit what you mean? After the fact that Ancient Wisdom has been declared, or anything. yeah, 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 and of course, Ancient Wisdom is a Godolphin horse who will likely be ridden by William Buick. So Doyle will be against the key danger to his own team. Absolutely. So it's you know, uh, I've crowbarred in the notion of you know scoring for City and United or whatever you know the old Dennis Law uh, from what was it 1974 75, um, and James Doyle is in a, a pretty similar. Uh, situation here so it's it's interesting for the jockey but it's also interesting isn't it for for charlie appleby because we've spoken an awful lot on uh, the nick luck daily during 2023 and it's been well documented in uh, the media too that charlie appleby hasn't had uh, by any means a strong uh year this year the 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 older horses the derby heroes were retired uh the three-year-olds haven't come up to scratch and and up until recently it didn't look like the two-year-olds were going to salvage that situation but ancient wisdom was really impressive when he won the autumn stakes at Newmarket 10 days ago he got a quote of about 14 16 to 1 uh for the derby next year uh when he, he beat Chief Little Rock, um, who of course is trained by Aidan O'Brien uh, that afternoon, and it'll be very interesting. I think the the um, the bookmakers can't really separate Ancient Wisdom and Diego Velasquez. I think they've got them at uh, pretty much six to four each of two. So that'll be an interesting one. Certainly, um, it's 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 more pivotal this I think for Charlie Appleby than it might be for Aidan O'Brien. Uh, because he's got the likes of City of Troy uh, back in County Tipperary, whereas it, there might be some long faces at Malton Paddocks if Ancient Wisdom is beaten here. But if he wins, then it's certainly game on for 2024 in the uh, the middle-distance three-year-old Colts department. Well, there'll be a lot of attention on the big battalions uh, ahead of the Cameco Futurity, uh, the final domestic group, one of the season on on Saturday. Uh, but don't reckon without Dancing Gemini, who created a, a serious impression at the same track last time. That was at the St. Ledger meeting in the Flying Scotsman Stakes. Absolutely bursting clear of gushing golden warrams. Dancing Gemini is trained by Roger Teal, who who joins me now. How's the horse, Roger? Yeah, he's in good order, Nick. Yeah, great. Very happy with him. And just tell me a little bit about his work programme since his last run at Doncaster and, and how you're prepping him for his biggest test today. 
Yeah, well, obviously we we um, we had a little bit of time after his last run, so we just sort of gave him a short, like eased off him a little bit, just downed his work level a little bit. Now we brought him back up well, over the last few weeks, and um, yeah, everything's everything's gone to plan. Um, Lewis came down, rode him last week, and did a lovely piece of work. Lewis was thrilled with him, so yeah, no, all all good to be fair, Nick. So. Yeah, can be happy with him. This is Lewis Edmonds, who's won his last two starts on him. How did the association between you and Lewis come about? Uh, by by chance, really. Um, it goes back to last year. I had a, um, you know, with the all these meetings on a Saturday. I had a runner at Chelmsford on a on a Saturday evening, and no jockeys available. Um, and I'd seen Lewis ride for, for Willie Muir and Chris Grassick, and he sort of caught my eye a bit, and I thought, you know, he rides so... I just, I just, I stuck him on the horse that we ran at Chelmsford, and he won on that. Um, and then just steady away since, you know. And um, you know, I think he's a, a very underestimated jockey. He's he's a lad going places. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, you know, it's like any jockey you need a, a decent horse to get you going, get you in the Saturday days. And you know, hopefully we've got one for him. Just look at this horse's pedigree. By Camelot out of an Australia mare, having his, his fifth run as a two-year-old, he must have unusual um, street wisdom and precocity for a horse of that breeding. Yeah, I mean he's 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 um he's a typical Camelot. He's 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 quite a sharp character, you know. Um, but he does he takes everything uh, takes everything in his stride, and um, he's always had a pretty good mind on him, you know. Everyone tells me Camelot can be a bit hot, but he's he he he's pretty pretty level-headed. He, he loves his work. Um, so yeah, no, he's um, he's been a pleasure to deal with. To be fair, I, just looking at his his curve of improvement he's he's moved forward with each run came out of that golden form race at Ascot behind Rosalian and it's already thrown up at least two group one winners behind him um Newbury very impressive last time really quite spectacularly impressive is that just him learning on the job or is that partly because of the soft ground no, him learning on the job as well. I mean, he's 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 a horse that we've had to sort of bide our time with because of he he's been growing all year. Nick, you know, he's a typical two-year-old. His body's developing and um, going into Ascot. I mean, he ran at um, Salisbury. Uh, probably, you know, with a better start, he would have won at Salisbury. But he just, uh, you know, very green on the first run. Um, uh, but he came massively forward for that. Going into Ascot, he probably just had a little bit of a growing spur on us he'd just gone a little bit bum high um going into Ascot so but see after Ascot he sort of leveled off and and um you know he, he basically strengthened up and uh going into Newbury he did a superb piece of work which gave us confidence going into Newbury and obviously he did the job that day and um um, and then, um, and then, 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 obviously, step up to, to to Doncaster, which, which was very, you know, was very, very pleasing to see that yeah, the way he quickened up and put the race to bed was very impressive. Yeah, you're not a stranger to Group One success, far from it, Roger. We know what the likes of Oxford have done down down the years, but to have a a, a horse of of this caliber at this stage of his career, running in this type of race, how is that a different feeling for a trainer? Yeah, well, it's, it's, you know, excitement, nerves, I guess, everything involved in it, uh, you know, um, like I said, it's, uh, we, after he won at, um, after he won at Doncaster, we sort of had this race in mind, so we sort of trained him for this race, so 
Fingers crossed we've got it right and, uh, you know, it's going to be obviously a massive test for him. Uh, there's going to be uh, some very decent animals in that race and uh, but hopefully we've got one and, um, and uh, you know, we can, he can, he can keep improving for us. All right, Roger, thanks so much for your time. Good luck. Cheers, Nick. Thank you. Take care. Bye. All right, well, you, you need to concentrate at this time of year because suddenly, before you know it, serious jumps horses are upon you. And this weekend, it's not just the first big Cheltenham meeting. List of entries is impressive. We've also got the old Rona entry on Sunday. And I've just had confirmation from Dan Skelton. He is planning to run the two years absent My Drogo. But if he does, then stand by because there's some serious horses in against him. And it won't be a, a cakewalk by any stretch of the imagination. One horse who's entered there and at Cheltenham is not long till May, who ran a terrific race to finish second last year in the Turner's Novices Chase at the Cheltenham Festival for trainer Laura Morgan, who's with me now. Um, Laura, exciting to see him. He's only run eight times. What a prospect he is. Are you going to run him this weekend? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not too sure yet where we'll go. Um, obviously, we'll look, look at Dex and sort of take it from there. But yeah, I'd say... Um, Cheltenham maybe looks slightly easier than um, than Aintree, but yeah, I'll just be looking at both and see, make a decision. So, I mean, caliber, of, ca- yeah, caliber of opposition is obviously one deciding factor when you're starting off the season. But in terms of conditions, distance, ground, and so forth, is that is that going to enter calculations as well? Exactly, that's it. I thought, um, I thought, obviously, you know, last year. And the Turners, I didn't. I didn't obviously know whether the track would suit him. I think probably a flatter track would suit him. Um, obviously, he'd been very impressive. Obviously, in lesser grade on flatter tracks. Um, that's the only thing that might just be in the back of my head of going to Aintree. But look, we'll, um, we'll we'll make a decision. But I think you know the only one at, at Cheltenham in that is obviously Gary Moore's. Um, that looks quite progressive, but. I think he'd probably be the best horse in the in the race off top weight. Um, but yeah, look, we'll we'll go there with a good chance. He seems in great form at home, so yeah, we'll make a decision and and, and go there. And I I said this is this is only the starting point for the season. But have you got him bang right to run a big one? Yeah, he's he's um, he's done lots of work, and like I say, we've got some really good bits into him around our grass gallop. So yeah, he's, we're ready to go. Um, strange though it seems to say about a horse who's got grade one form he's rated 152 at the moment the horse who beat him at, at Cheltenham stage stars rated 155 if they both turned up in the paddy power on these ratings you'd be you'd be three pounds better off it, to what extent are things like that playing on your mind or do you just try and play the ball that's being bowled at you at the time yeah exactly exactly that just you know it was it was impressive enough what he did I thought last year going straight chasing and considering he'd not actually had, you know, um, he hadn't had that many runs over hurdles. Modern and I, you know, switching to chasing is completely different horse. Um, so yeah, look, I, um, it's, it's crazy for such a small yard to have, you know, some nice horses whistle in the dark. He's another, and obviously he's got an entry for the paddy power so yeah we're just we're just in a very lucky position to have some nice horses in the yard this year to be taking us to them big meetings and you mentioned not long till may's inexperience as i said at the beginning only eight runs only four runs over fences bias i molinas whose progeny tend to be genuine and improve with with time and distance is that how you see him in due course do you just see him developing and developing into into maybe a gold cup type horse 
yeah, that's a long-term aim, obviously. Um, but yeah, we'll just, just play it by ear this year and and sort of hopefully, he's, you know, last year I thought he was very, you know, very free going this year. He's a lot, a lot calmer, so he might be able to think about stepping him up in trip. Um, so yeah, it's very exciting. And obviously, you, the other thing was he, he managed to win four races for three different jockeys last year. Have you got a, 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 a um, consistent jockey in mind for him this time? Yeah, hopefully Adam Wick. Obviously, he's retained to Evan Williams, but hopefully he can can ride him. Obviously, we've got you know got some good lads that come in here. Um, you know, I've got Lewis Lewis Dobb and um, Kevin Brogan. He comes in. Harry Reid, a few lads, and obviously Brian Hughes won on him. So, um, but no, I think um, I think we'll probably stick to Wedgie if he can ride him. Well, fingers crossed he can. Wherever you go this weekend, Laura, best of luck. Can't wait to see him. And great to kind of, as I said, kick ourselves out the backside and remind ourselves of which good chases are coming out very soon. Exactly. Yeah, it's very exciting. All right. Well, yesterday, uh, shortly after we had uh, started recording the podcast, the news broke that there would be a new and much-anticipated docuseries to be screened on ITV1. Uh, charting a significant portion of the jump season and the stories behind it. And that docuseries was being put together with the help of Racecourse Media Group, uh, with Flutter, uh, the major betting uh, conglomerate, um, parent company of Betfair, Paddy Power, Skybet and others. And ITV would take this and it would be produced by South, South Shore Productions. Uh, as I say, Flutter, one of the key drivers behind this, their commercial director, Seb Butterworth, joins me now. Simple question, Seb. Why does a, a major betting company get involved in a project like this? Okay, um, look, hello Nick, and, and, and thank you for inviting us on your show. Um, so I suppose you have to sort of look back, you know, Flutter has a, a long tradition of supporting racing, um, aside from our significant direct investments into racing via the Levy Media Rights race sponsorship and, and, and marketing spend. Uh, we've supported racing um, continually, and I suppose um, in, in other areas. And, and back in 2021, uh, Skybet invested in the trial, that is the Skybet Sunday series, exploring the opportunity that is good quality Sunday racing. We worked very closely with ITV, the race courses. You know, we worked with Bill at, at Musselburgh, Norman at Pontefract. We, we wanted to put on a, a great show for racing. We wanted to improve race course attendance, provide... Uh, an engaging programme on ITV, whilst also offer the opportunity for customers to bet on good quality competitive racing on a Sunday. There are other areas too in terms of how we support racing and time form of sporting life, two brands within the UK and I division that are now working closely with the Horse Welfare Board to understand how we can work together to socialise some of the you know many great things that are going on in that hugely important area of the sector. Um, whilst we're also exploring whether the, the new time form uh, race cards can be a, um, a fixture of premier race days to elevate that race course experience. The horse racing docuseries um, is just another example of this. Um, uh, I think it's important to note that this is you know, not about um, growing the Paddy Power Betfair or Skybet brand. There will be no brand indents or brand imagery used. This is This is purely about working together with stakeholders across racing to open racing up to a new and broader audience and fundamentally create uh, more fans of this great and unique sport. 
you're somebody who's got background in overseeing some of that editorial that you were talking about as well, particularly with, with Sporting Life and, and Timeform. Did that give you a, a different perspective on racing's relationship with betting and how it was best driven and that it's not quite as straightforward as people might think? Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and content, obviously, I look after Timeform and Sporting Life and, and, and content um, for Flutter, though, is critical. You know, we... We want to uh, create those deep and engaging experience of experiences of the sports people love to bet on. Um, we want to uh, bring fans of sports closer to the sports uh, they love, and, and that's really how you how you create fans of, of, of these said sports. Um, so yeah, absolutely, um, content, uh, uh, whether that's editorial, written editorial, bringing customers closer to uh, jockeys, trainers, to, to the inner workings of, of the different sports is, is, is really important. And, and we see this, this docuseries as a vehicle that can, that can achieve that, but, but, but on, a, on, a broader, mm. on a broader audience. So content equals fandom, fandom equals greater betting revenue, and it's all a virtuous circle. And I realise I'm completely cognizant of the fact that we're having this conversation against the backdrop of so many complications and such a turbulent time in terms of gambling regulation and so forth. I do want to talk a little bit about premierization because you, you did bring it up and why um, a company like Flutter, for example, welcomes a uh, what, what we call a decluttering of those Saturdays and races being spread out. Can you just kind of explain the principle behind that? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So um, I suppose we, we have to look sort of long term um, when we're thinking about what is right for any sport, really. And um, there's no doubt that the um, reduction of races will hit operators' P&Ls in the short term. Um, there'll be less races to bet on, and, and that, will, that will impact our, our numbers. But we have to think about how, how do we actually uh, uh, create space for fans to actually uh, create uh, an association with... Um, the stars on the show. How can we create space for fans to understand who the jockeys are, who our great owners are, who our um, you know equine stars are? Um, and we believe that the decluttering of racing on a on a Saturday will will allow that. Um, you know, we we have fed in um, via uh, the BHA um, our data to to sort of showcase that actually when you have too much racing on a on a uh, a Saturday afternoon that you know stakes per race is is not optimized we, you know races on top of each other doesn't allow uh, customers to properly look at that race and, and properly understand who's on show why they're here you know how the horses might run etc and and we believe firmly that actually spacing races out at more appropriate times will allow consumers to properly engage and, and, and to create some resonance with the stars of the show. That, that's that's the sort of the, the key principle. And obviously everybody knows that races on network television, or traditionally we used to call terrestrial television, drive up, um, drive up betting revenues and drive the levy extremely hard. There's that really interesting balance. I've been talking to Richard, Richard Wayman quite a bit about it at the BHA on this podcast, that very interesting balance between making sure there are enough races in that window to be as uh, levy generative of, as possible, but also to make sure that there's enough space to tell those stories. And I suppose that's the that's the equation that you want to get right, isn't it? 
No, that's absolutely true, and and um, ITV is you know a huge supporter of racing, um, and is absolutely you know we're, we're privileged to have a national broadcaster of our sport. And yes, we want you know ideally more races broadcast on ITV. So how do we then spread it out um, adequately, not to you know to, to to meet that equation that you meet that you suggest? I suppose the one of the the key thing is 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 you know Sunday racing and and um, that we have longed for is an opportunity. There's going to be more uh, racing broadcast on ITV on Sunday. You think that's a that's a that's a great step and 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 that will allow uh, for uh, I suppose greater customer engagement across different days um, uh, of our sport and and so yeah we're supportive of that too. But I do understand it's a, it's a fine balance to, to be had. Um, Seb, you're clearly a, a massive fan of the sport. You're someone who who is steeped in it and has seen it from all all different sides. So people will will buy into your enthusiasm for it. Of course, they will. Uh, how representative are you, however, of uh, senior executives within the industry now, within the big corporations? How representative are you of, of them in terms of fandom? So look, I can I can only really speak for from Flutter's perspective uh, intimately. Obviously, I, I've been at Skybet previously for, for thirteen years, um, and I, I, you know all I you know positively um, at, at, at Flutter. You know we we are this investment here. I think is testament for uh, the, the executive support of racing. Um, you know this is. This is not a, a short-term PNL game. This is a long-term strategic um, goal that we, 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 you know, we want to invest in racing to support the very infrastructure of racing. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, that's that's paramount for 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 Flutter UK and I. And and you know, when I do speak to people across across the industry, you know, that there there are other people um, who absolutely support this type of investment and think this is exactly what racing needs needs to be looking at um, uh, across across the sector. I mean, I, I suppose you know, just drawing this to a close, I suppose it's the extent to which sometimes you, you sort of feel like you're you're sort of putting your hand up in the corner of an enormous classroom, going, "Excuse me, racing? Anybody? Anybody racing?" Uh, yeah, I suppose um, uh, you know there, there are other sports that have gained traction over the last ten, fifteen years. You know that, that, that that's that's definitely key. And racing is um, competing um, in a in a much more competitive landscape than it was say you know ten, fifteen years ago. But um, we we recognise the importance of racing um, to our business uh, in you know today, but also tomorrow. And um, I think all operators. Um, understand that um, you know we you, you sort of mentioned earlier alluded to you know there are lots of discussions at the moment about the funding of racing um, and we you know we've got to get that balance right um, that's that's pivotal to uh, the future of the sport um, we can't you know, these these types of investments uh, in the in the docu series won't be uh, possible if costs in racing continue to escalate but but you know there's, there's no doubt racing is, is hugely, hugely important to to Flutter, UK and I, and, and it's important uh, to, to all operators uh, um, uh, across across the UK. So, uh, <laughs> yes, most other sports have gained traction. Racing is, is, is fundamental. Seb, that was the most courteously uh, fired shot across the bowels of the sport that I've ever heard delivered. But I, I, but I get exactly what you, what, what you mean. 
Okay. Well, yeah, yeah absolutely. Look, I, I suppose look, um, um, that one one thing I would um, uh, I, I would like to mention before we do close is that, um, and and it sort of relates to what we just talked about. Racing, you know, can often be described as um, as as uh, as as fractured with with lots of um, with a lack of sort of joined up collaboration, um, and and different people competing for different things. And and you know, I understand that. Um, uh, um, but I suppose in 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 the meetings that we have had, the sort of um, some briefing meetings that we had set up by RMG over the last last week, discussing this documentary series, and we spoke to uh, the PJA, NTF, ROA, RCA, the spoke to the BHA, just to give them a heads up that this is what we're doing. The positive, the the, the, the reaction was unanimously positive, you know, and I think there's a there's a an alignment that and an understanding that we can all work collectively to get behind this one single objective of creating new fans for racing. We can get more people to enjoy watching racing on television, more people going to the race course, more people to become owners, and more people to enjoy safely having a bet. Um, and we can do this by showing the nation what a wonderful sport horse racing is. Um, you know, and importantly, I suppose, you know, particularly to this series, you know, what amazing people there are behind the scenes working every day to put on this great and unique show and you, you can tell you know yeah we are hugely enthused by this and and we're delighted to have worked with sort of with itv rmg and south shore to be in this position to put this on um uh, on prime time itv next summer i think it's a it's a it's a really positive uh, development and and yeah we're really really excited seb butterworth thanks so much thank you nick seb butterworth commercial director for flutter um, giant bookmaking conglomerate who is uh, the chief backer of the new docuseries on ITV that'll take stock of some of the key stories of the jump season. Lydia and I were talking about this yesterday from an editorial standpoint. Quite interesting, Seb Butterworth's view of this from a commercial standpoint, David, and his notion of content being important to driving fan engagement and therefore driving betting turnover. It's an interesting one, this, Nick. And I, please believe me, listeners, I don't want to pour cold water on a venture like this. I, 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 I'm really excited to to read about it in the, the press release yesterday morning. And, of course, my own self-interest, I, I want it to succeed. I do have, um, and, and I've expressed these uh, doubts before, I, I do have my doubts about this notion of racing's ability to tell its stories. I, I you know, I, I make phone calls to the um, to, to the the elite trainers and approach the jockeys and the owners uh, as part of my working life, and I think that those nearer the bottom of the pyramid are much more inclined to tell their stories, and in many cases they're very interesting stories, um, much more so than those who inhabit the top of it. Well, um, this is this is quite interesting because this this echoes a point that that Lydia was half touching on yesterday, which is that if you're going to do this, a jump racing might be better because it's a bit less gloss and veneer and a bit more quote agreed. unquote real. But also, if you're going to do it, it needs to be warts and all, or at least at least telling you as much of the uh, of the downside as the upside. Yeah. 
I, I agree with that point. Uh, certainly, I, I think that they they chose wisely uh, when they went for uh, the run from the King George to the to the Spring Festivals in the jump season. Um, but as I say, I, you know, people will say, "Oh, name names, name names." Well, I'm I'm not going to do that. But uh, I just merely wish to say that during my working life of of contacting people approaching them in person on the race course ringing them up that those stories are not they're not as readily told as i would always like them to be and i'll uh, i'll say that and i'll say no more but i think often you hear racing politicians and um those involved with ventures like this they 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 talk about racing's ability. And of course, this is premierization too, the ability of racing to tell its own stories. Well, I'll tell you what, some of you people, I'll give you some phone numbers. You ring these people. Maybe they just don't like me, which is a perfectly valid choice on their part. But I'll give you some of these numbers. See if you can get blood out of a stone. I think I've said enough. All right, it's Tuesday. So we go around the world of Bloodstock with our friends at Weatherby's their excellent stallion book and their global stallion app entries for which are now being taken for the next edition and we're to germany today to gestut oliverhof which has been operating efficiently but quietly for a number of years now it's making some quite considerable noise as it did at the arcana arc sale a few weeks back when selling horses for 1.3 million euros and 430,000 euros and uh, to cap a fine season, the first four in the Deutsches Derby were all pre-trained at Gestut Oliverhof. And it gives me great pleasure now to welcome Timo Daigle to the show. Timo, this is starting to become a, a really important European concern. Just tell me a little bit about why you're in the position that you're in now and, and how it's built up. Yes, um, um, we are based uh, near the border of uh, France and Germany in the southwest. And uh, we are traditionally uh, a stud um, with stallions, with mares. Uh, but in the in the last years, there uh, we um, we we could see that there is a, a gap in in the German racing and uh, um, in in the pre-training. There is no pre-training, and the owners um, want to do that. And uh, so we have the uh, structure here in our stud that we have a fourteen hundred meter dirt track. And um, so, yeah, we, we love riding, my wife and me. And so we build up a team of good riders. And um, yeah, we start pre-training in yeah, around 2017. And um, this year we had uh, were very successful uh, with uh, seven runners in the, in the German Derby. And uh, yeah, after all, the first four horses were here uh, as a yearling, as a two-year-old. Um, to be in pre-training and also the um, group one uh, pre-Tedian winner uh, Muskoka which uh, we sell in uh, Paris um, yeah we're also was also here in pre-training so this year was very very successful in the pre-training and um, on the sales also uh, we have a, had a um, a big draft in the BBHE uh, October sale in Baden-Baden and uh, on top uh, yeah, the two horses uh, in the ARC sale. Um, we are very proud of them to sell the horses uh, on the, for that big price. 
And tell me a little bit about the history of the of the stud, because your wife's family established established this several several decades ago, didn't they? Yes, that's that's true. It's uh, the the family of my wife. Uh, the grandfather, after the the uh, Second World War, um, got uh, the land uh, in the countryside and um, was uh, building a, a typical agricultural farm um, with a lot of uh, different animals and um, yeah was was producing milk and um, yeah tr- typical traditional agriculture. And so the father of my wife, Michael. Uh, had the the passion of the horses and uh, likes to to ride out and uh, make a bit fox hunting and so um, yeah he needs fast horses for that um, um, he loved the speed and so he began to bred uh, the half-breds uh, half-thoroughbred horses um, yeah and um, he likes the the speed and the the um, yeah, the, the the art of the horses. And um, yeah, so the fast horses, the thoroughbreds um, um, came into the farm around yeah 1980s. And uh, so from that point on, um, there was the, the um, eye on only on the thoroughbreds. And uh, in the year um, 2017, um, my wife and me, um, uh, get uh, involved in the business in the farm and uh, so uh, yeah we stopped the typical agricultural uh, work and uh, go only yeah, 100% on the horses mm. on the thoroughbreds on the race horses uh, and you and your wife Natasha you're 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 both uh, ex-amateur jockeys as well so you're you're both steeped in the game and you're now full steam ahead as you say with the, with the, with the thoroughbreds it seems to me, Timo, that that Germany's not enough. You want to you want to expand and and make your presence felt across Europe and uh, and across the world. Just just give me a, a a hint of the scale of your ambition. Yeah, um, the the German um, thoroughbred industry is is quite small, and um, we are young, we are ambitious, and uh, we have have uh, very very good clients who also. Um, um, orientate uh, themselves as as European. The German market is, is very small and um, and very closed. So uh, um, for the future, for the for the young people in the German racing industry, um, yeah, they they must uh, look look uh, far and uh, um, yeah, orient and the orientation uh, has to go uh, to the international market and. Um, yeah, we had uh, for the December Akana sale, which is our next big sale. We have uh, eleven very interesting mares um, from different um, German uh, clients, which uh, come um, contacted us and um, yeah want to to uh, present their horses by us by uh, Ola Weyerhoff Oha consignment, and that's a big success for us. And um, yeah, we are we are looking in the future. And uh, we want to go to the European market. And we must talk about the Oliverhof stallions now as well, because there are a couple of gaps for some significant uh, studs in, in in Germany, particularly given the the loss of horses like Adlerflug in recent times. You've got Rubeat and and also Isfahan. Uh, tell me a little bit about them and how they're going down. 
Yeah, um, we get uh, Isfahan uh, some years ago, and uh, he was very, very good, uh, pushed by his owner, um, Dr. Oshman, Darius Racing, and uh, by the uh, racing manager, Holger Faust. He uh, um, had a very, very um, big and cool uh, first crop. Uh, Rubayat had, had a very, very good start here on our farm. We are very pleased. He's very popular in Germany because he runs uh, uh, four complete seasons without injury. He's a very, very hard-tested uh, racehorse. And um, yeah, he's very popular by the public. And uh, in the first year, he covered over uh, 50 mares, um, which is very good for, for, German first, uh, for the German first season. And um, he covered not only a, a, a good number, also a lot of quality mares. All right. Thanks to Timo. Thanks to all my guests today, uh, Seb Butterworth, Roger Teal, and David Yates, of course, who's with me now. David, you have a, a tip for us for today. We're going to Wolverhampton, Dunstall Park, for the 8.30 race, and it's number four, Master of Combat. Uh, this horse scored over the extended mile here at the beginning of this month, and I hope that a four-pound rise in the weights will not stop Ross Ryan's mount from following up over the extended nine. A30 race at Wolverhampton, selection number four, Master of Combat. All right, David, thank you so much. Thank you very much for joining us. We will be back once again tomorrow, but that was Tuesday the 24th of October. Bye for now. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.